So last uh, couple of weeks ago, we announced that uh, Jason, uh, who was just uh, leading worship on the stage, has now uh, done the work, passed his licensing exam, and he's been studying, and, and he's in the pastoral track now, so you can officially call him Pastor Jason. Uh, one of the reasons why I love having uh, Jason as a co-worker and a brother, but part of our team, um, is that I used to be known as the crying pastor because I would get emotional. And then Jason, God's been doing this really awesome work in Jason. And so more or less often than not, when he's up here, Jason has come to tears. And I just was glad to kind of hand that title <laughs> over to Jason uh, just to let him become the crying pastor. I just want to give you a little warning, though. Um, it could be that uh, I got back in the early morning hours of my my son's college conference championship game over in New Jersey, and they won, and uh, a lot of emotion hit an injury this season. It was a very emotional evening for us, and this morning we had such, just such an incredible first service together, and I'm up making an announcement about the food drive here at the beginning of second service, and I'm crying already, so I just, uh, I, I don't know what today is going to hold, but I'm really grateful for God's work in and through us in different seasons, and I hope uh, that today your heart's open and receptive, because today marks the first Sunday in this Christian tradition, this season that we call Lent. And Lent is a time to focus both on who Jesus is, but also why did Jesus come? What was his purpose in coming? Lent is a season where we try to take more time to pray, where we try to take time to fast, and we take time to seek a greater understanding of the power of Jesus, the power of his resurrection, the power of Easter, essentially, as we lead up towards Easter, that's available to us. Lent's a time where we attempt to become deaf to the voices that say that we need something more than Jesus in order to live a full, a fulfilled life and a life of abundance. We try to go deaf to those voices, and at the same time, we become more attentive to the voice of God in our lives. So Lent gives us the opportunity for us to tune out maybe some tracks that play regularly in our mind and for us to tune in to God's truth and God's voice for us in this time. And that's why every week we want to offer some things to you. If you want to pull out your outline on the back of your outline, it's kind of in the middle of your worship guide. Um, you'll see we kept the outline short today, the preaching outline, because on the back there are some tools for you. We're going to do this throughout the next six weeks that we'd love for you to take home. There's a little gospel ladder at the top there. We'll talk about that in the message today. But you can see there's some reflections and some prayer and uh, a weekly fast that we're going to encourage you to participate in. It's always your choice. Um, we don't collect homework here at Daybreak, but it's an opportunity for you to engage with God in a deeper way. So, and then uh, at the, the end of this week, we want to kind of start this season of Lent with an opportunity called a Taste of Sabbath. And that's this Saturday. It's a half-day retreat, essentially for you to be able to come in and get quiet before the Lord, allow yourself to be led through a few spiritual exercises that your heart can start to open up to God. What is it that you want to speak to me in this season? And it's a privilege sometimes to be led in prayer and quiet through by someone else who's helping prompt you and encourage you how to hear the voice of God in this season. That's what's going to happen this Saturday morning. We'd love for you to be a part of it. You might want to put that in your calendar for later this week. But our hope as a church is that in this season of Lent, that we'd live in such a way that when Easter comes, we're able to taste Easter, taste the joy and the hope of Easter in a new way, in the way that Jesus intended for us to. And we're praying that God will meet us here every Sunday as we work through this season of Lent, and that we'll each grasp the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a powerful way 
because we'll experience it transforming us together. So we have this theme verse that is going to be ours throughout the series from Romans chapter 1. It's Romans 1.16, and I want to encourage you to not only get to know that verse, but maybe even to memorize it as we walk through this season and meditate on it over the next six weeks. We're going to unpack it today. Um, so you can open up your Bible to Romans chapter 1, or you can open up your Bible app to Romans 1, or you can follow along on the screens. I did want to tell you that today um, we couldn't fit, because of the, the uh, tools that we want to give you for the week, we have less in the outline than we usually do. So there's less of the scripture in there, so you can, uh, it will be on the screens today, or you can follow along in your Bible or in your Bible app as well. But before I read that, can I just tell you that I believe that the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome that we're going to look at throughout this series, I think it's the strongest theological treaties that we have written in all of scripture for us. And the beautiful part about the book of Romans is it's not just a book on theology. Some of you are like, oh, great, we're going to get a theological treatise. That sounds exciting. Can't wait to come back to church. Uh, Beyond that, it's a practical theology, though. It's so practical, the way Paul delivers it, that it's just so easily ap applicable to our lives. And so I hope you benefit from that in the weeks that come. So let's dig in. In the beginning of his letter, in Romans chapter 1, Paul writes this. He says, That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Would you just underline or circle if you have a pen out? I'm so eager to preach the gospel. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Why is Paul so eager to preach the gospel? And this is our theme verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God, you can underline, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Can we read that verse out loud together? Now, I did this in first service, and I think three-quarters of the way through, a couple of people joined me. So, uh, you know... Let's outdo the first service this morning. Ready? Here we go. Verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. What Paul is saying here is that the gospel, it changes everything. It's God's power in your life and it changes everything. And many of you might agree with that. But I wonder, I just wonder as I was getting the message ready this week, do you feel that the gospel is the power of God that changes everything when your alarm goes off tomorrow morning and you get up and you get ready for your first class or you get ready for work? Does the gospel have the power to impact your life in a practical way? Is the gospel really the power of God for your salvation and to empower you every day of your life? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ changing how you do your work, how you relate to others, how you parent, how you see yourself, how you operate in the world. I love what Paul writes here about the gospel. And he writes it to Jesus' followers in Rome. And I want you to hear this this morning. Paul writes this letter to people who are following Jesus. And he says something really interesting. He says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. I'm eager to come and preach the gospel to you who already believe. To you who have already put your faith in Jesus, I'm eager to come and preach the gospel to you. To you who already attend church, to you who give your life in service to others, to you who already pray, to you who already read the scripture, to you who are already Christians, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. Does that strike you as a little bit odd? I mean, think about it. If we were the recipients of Paul's letter and here this morning as the church, some of us might think, well, Paul, um, I already know the gospel. Like, I don't need a, another gospel sermon. I grew up in church. I understand the gospel. 
Or maybe you'd say, Paul, when I was younger, I was at camp or I was at VBS. I remember I said a prayer. I raised my hand and I asked Jesus to save me. I said, Jesus, would you come into my heart? Or maybe you'd say, no, I submitted my life to Christ when I was in my 20s or 30s. There came a point in my life where I just couldn't, I knew I can't do this on my own. I need God in my life. And you surrendered control and leadership of your life to God. You said, God, I need you to be my forgiver. I need you to be my leader. And so you would say, Paul, I don't know that I really need you to come and preach the gospel to me. I'm glad you're excited about it, Paul. <laughs> I'm glad you're eager, but I don't know that I need it. If you grew up in church, you may have been taught that the gospel was what saved you, which is true. The gospel is the power of God that saved you. But did, is it possible that maybe we misunderstand the gospel as good news for a moment in time, kind of a once and done thing in our lives? Like we needed the gospel, and now that's kind of past. We received it, and it was good news then, but now it's just kind of old news for us. It's good news when it's new news. The gospel is good news for those who don't yet know Jesus. But once you've received the gospel, then we just kind of get on with the work of being a good moral Christian person. That's kind of our job from there. But Paul is saying something distinctly different here. Paul's saying he's not only eager to preach the gospel to those who don't, who, who, who don't yet know Jesus, but also he's eager to preach the gospel to those who already believe in Jesus. Why would you think it was so important to Paul that he would say that right at the outset of his letter to the Corinthians? or to the Romans, rather. Paul says that he was eager to preach. But I don't know if you've ever really thought about what preaching is, but there's really two phrases or two words that kind of describe the full measure of this word preach that is talked about in the Bible. The first is proclaiming truth. That's kind of the first part of preaching. And the second part of it is announcing hope. You're proclaiming truth, and you're also announcing hope. I think Paul knew that we need to rehear you and I need to rehear the gospel daily so that we can experience the power of God daily in our life. We can proclaim its truth and we can announce the hope of it. The gospel isn't just for a moment in time. It's not just a single event that we were saved. Paul is saying that the gospel is the power of God for our ongoing life in Christ. It's the power of God lived through us so that we can continue to live out our life in Christ. So for those of us who know the gospel, this is my question for us today. Do we experience the gospel as God's power daily? And this word power, dunamis in the New Testament Greek, actually means more like if it were translated more clearly, it would mean miraculous power. So let me ask, if you're here and you're a Christ follower, you're a Christian, do you experience the miraculous power of God in your life? The miraculous power of the gospel to live this life that God has called you to live, that he's, in, he's given you to live every day. You know, if I'm being honest, personally, I would tell you I've felt the frustration of seasons of my life that I would say I, did not, I was not able to grasp onto the power of God daily in my life. I was not able to take hold of, I was not able to access the power of God daily in my life. And maybe you connect with this, maybe you relate to this. Have you ever felt frustrated by lots of effort in your life without a lot of sense of deep life change actually happening in your life. Maybe you've experienced that. I'm putting in a lot of work here, but I'm not feeling a lot of life change. Or maybe you felt like your relationship with God has been strangled by your own propensity to chase after destructive behaviors, different sinful behaviors in your life. And it's just th those continue to strangle out any hope of a dynamic spiritual life for you. 
Or maybe you felt exhausted by living a life of trying to keep all the rules. Maybe you've seen your relationship with God as, I'm a moral rule keeper. You know, I do all the right things. I check all the good person boxes, but I wonder why I'm not feeling the power of God that gives me peace or gives me joy or sustains me or gives me that kind of strength that you're talking about. Maybe you feel like you're just so weary of trying to prove to yourself that you're lovable to everyone else. Maybe you are exhausted by hiding from your past. Maybe you're living in constant anxiety over what you could lose. Or maybe like we sang about earlier, maybe you're fearful and you feel fearful about your future and you find yourself constantly overcompensating by trying to control all the events in your life. But what if the gospel isn't just something that starts us on our journey with God? What if it's bigger than that? What if it's also the source of miraculous power for daily life change for those of us who already believe, for those of us who call ourselves Christians and have committed to following Christ and have received his love and his mercy and his grace and have surrendered and said, Lord, I want you to lead. What if the gospel is meant to be our power source to live that life? Tim Keller is a really well-respected theologian and a pastor in our day. I love Tim Keller's books. I've read many of them, and he says it this way, and I wish I could have put this quote in your outline, but there wasn't enough space, so it's up on the screen for you this morning. Tim Keller says, The gospel is not the first step in the stairway of truths. Rather, it's more like the hub in a wheel of truth. The gospel is not only for non-Christians, for when we fail to apply the gospel as Christians, we may try to grow we may try to grow through our hard work and obedience instead of through the power of God. I love that. The gospel isn't just the first step. It's central to every life-changing truth that Jesus came to reveal and to offer to you and to me. And I think for most of us, we love the idea of the gospel, but we don't always experience the power of the gospel in our life. And so Paul spends the next eight verses helping us understand why. Moving into Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Let me kind of tie this together. Paul is eager to preach the gospel, and he starts by helping us understand why the gospel has such incredible power. He says that God has been actively working to reveal himself to all of humanity from the time of creation till now. God has revealed himself through all that he has created to us. God's not passive, he's not distant, he's not uncaring. He created, he created everything, including you and me, to make us aware of his divine nature. He's been revealing himself to us through his creation since the beginning of time. And Paul goes on to say that history proves that we as people don't really believe that. We don't really live like God is the true and only source of life for us. Verse 21 goes on to talk about that. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Paul's talking about idol making there. He's talking about the idols that they created to worship, worshiping the created instead of the creator. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Listen, let me tie this up 
what Paul is saying here is so important. This is why it's important for us to hear the gospel every day. Every day. Because the gospel is counter to our nature and our culture. The gospel runs counter to both our human nature and our culture as well. And we could spend all morning talking about how the culture sends us messages that drive us away from God's best for us. I think uh, that wouldn't be a hard case for us to prove as to how our culture sends messages that push us away from God. But so does our nature. Let me ask you a question. How many of you hear voices? <laughs> okay, not just crazy people voices. Like, how many of you have tracks in your head that play over and over again? You know the voice. Yeah, many of you raising your hands. You know the voices. They're voices that influence the way that you think. They're voices that influence the way that you live. It's part of your human nature. I was talking with a friend this week who gets up in the morning, and they didn't go to bed feeling anxious, but when they get up in the morning, they think of all the things that they need to get done, and immediately their mind floods, their heart floods with anxiety. And something inside of him says, you better get all that done. And if he digs a little deeper than that, he better get it all done because getting it all done is what will lead to him feeling loved and accepted and valued in his mind. And so he has this fear that if, if I don't work hard, if I don't do, get this stuff done, if I don't accomplish these things, then who will I be? And so he hits the ground running many days because of that anxiety, because of that voice, because of that track that plays in his mind. Listen, our nature and our culture often drive us away from God's best for us. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Look at verse 25. It says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served creative, created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Is it any wonder that so many of us have settled into the lie that this life is all that there is? I mean, that's what the culture is telling us. That's what our nature is talk, telling us, that our physical nature is all that we have. It's all that we are. And Paul says we're exchanging God's truth for what the culture says is truth, but it's not true. We're exchanging God's truth for a lie in the way that we live every day. So here's what Paul is saying. You need to hear the gospel because it's counter to your nature and it's counter to the culture. And God is so smart and he's so loving and God is so wise and he knows you and me so well. Why? Because he designed us. <laughs> Because he created us. He understands our emotional condition. He understands our intellectual need. He understands our physical needs. He designed us, our whole person. He understands our spiritual need. Because God loves us and understands us so well, this is his plan. He says, I designed you for worship. I designed you to love me, to be in a love relationship with me, to have me as your single focus God says, I designed you to have me as the source of life for you. But God, as we talked about last week, God says, I'll never force that on you. Free will, free will, it's yours to choose. I won't force it on you. So you go ahead and chase after sin in this season. Scripture passage said that. God released you to do that because God knows that sin and anything that he created that we will idolize. He knows that those things will never satisfy us. Another place in scripture, it says all of creation is only a shadow of God's glory and goodness. The created things, including you and I, it's only a shadow of who God is, but we are only satisfied in the creator. So here's the good news. 
God knows that none of that's going to work for us. Chase anything less than God, and there will still be something empty inside of you. Try to fill that empty spot with anything less than Jesus, and you will always be unsatisfied in life. And so Paul says, I want to let you in on this little secret. And this is what verse 25 is really saying. As long as we search for our worth and our hope and our confidence in what we do, we remain unchanged by the gospel. As long as we search for our worth and our hope and our confidence in what we do, we remain unchanged by the gospel. So Paul's saying, here's what people did. They searched for worth and hope and joy in what they could see, in what they could feel, or what they could touch, instead of the invisible, glorious, all-powerful, all-loving, and transcendent God of the universe. They couldn't get their arms around that. So instead, they leaned in to worship what they could tangibly feel and touch. In fact, they actually worshiped those things that they thought might make them feel significant, might make them feel valuable or accepted or loved. They worshiped the created instead of the creator. So here's my question. Do we do that? Do we do it? Let's talk about that. What is worship? Well, essentially, worship is making something such a high priority in your life because you think that it will give you life and will fill that emptiness inside of you. Worship is anything in your life that drives your life, whether that's your schedule, your money, might be your kids. Any of those things could potentially become an object of worship for you. Worship is anything or anyone that we look to in order to establish our value or our acceptance or our significance or our worth. Any of those things can become the object of our worship. It can become a God to us. A small g God, to, but it becomes a God to us. Last week I was talking with someone who was telling me about their work, their day at work, and they were so frustrated because of something that their boss had said to them at work. Have you ever had a boss ruin your day? You know, they just said or did something and it wrecked your entire day. Have you ever, can you relate to that? I hope the Daybreak staff aren't here nodding their heads really big right now. Look, here's what I think. If your boss can completely ruin your day, I want you to think about this. If your boss has that power, what does your why does your boss have the power to ruin your day? Because you decided that you needed your boss's approval in order to determine your value. Because you think what he thinks is so important because it determines whether or not you're going to get a raise, whether or not you're going to keep your job uh, or your title or whatever it is that's important to you. And so accidentally, he becomes a small g God because whatever has the power to define you, whatever drives your behaviors is an object of worship for you. And that's a big statement. I want you to catch that. I want you to think about this. Anything in your life that you obey, anything that freaks you out enough on the inside or drives you to work harder or causes you to act out in ways that you later regret, that is what has control over you. And it has control over you because you are devoted to it and because you want to appease it. Here's a few examples. If your fear of failure drives you and causes you anxiety and makes you work like a dog, like you have something to prove, aren't you serving that fear or that drive like it's your master? If your devotion to financial success or security causes you to live in constant fear of the future, a future that you can't control, isn't that your master? If you put more energy into making sure that your kids are happy 
than you put into your own relationship with God is their approval. If, they're, if they're, their approval of you is essential to your happiness, then maybe you're actually worshiping your kids or your family. And Paul goes on in verses 24 to 31 in chapter 1 of Romans, and he lists a whole lot of sins. I mean, Paul goes into everything. And I encourage you to read that list. I was going to read it this morning, and I was going to do this exercise and have you stand as I read the sin that you've, you know, any of the sins that you've experienced in your own life. I was just going to have you stand during that time. Don't you think that would be fun? Let me tell you, at the end of the list, we would all be standing. Do you understand? This isn't meant to point at you or point at me. Paul goes through this entire list of sins, and at the end of the day, if we did that, there wouldn't be a person left sitting in the room. It just wouldn't be. Please stand for the public reading of your sins. I decided not to do that. But we're going to do that next week, so come back. <laughs> come back next week. It's going to be a good time. But why does Paul list all these sins, and what does it have to do with the gospel? His point is this. All sinful behavior in our lives can be traced back to a wrong belief, to misplaced worship, to a wrong way to find our value, to a wrong way to find our acceptance based on something we do rather than something that God's already done or who God already is. And here's what Paul is saying. The only way to become deaf to these voices is to truly understand and experience the true gospel which calls us into a new way of living. And what Paul is really saying to us is this, stop, just stop trying to feel loved by pursuing the created. Stop trying to find your identity and your worth and value in trying to pursue the created. Pursue the creator. That's where you'll find your identity. That's where you'll find your value. You know, we're going to spend the next six weeks of this series kind of focused on this little tool, this little analogy, this little visual. And it's also on the back of your, your worship guide this morning and your outlines up on the screens. But we're going to keep returning to it because the direction that you're heading on this ladder will determine whether you're living out a true gospel or whether you're actually living out the false gospel in your life. And we're going to unpack that in a lot of detail over the next six weeks. And we're going to keep returning to this visual because I believe it's helpful for you. I saw it for the first time a year ago, and I had never seen it quite put into words this way or visualized this way. And it hasn't left, it's become a part of what shaped my perspective on the gospel in a powerful way. You see, we live out a false gospel when we're heading up the ladder. When you believe that what you do or who you are, what people think about you, how much money you have, when you believe that those things determine who you are, that's a false gospel. And let me tell you why this is so important. Let's pause here for just a minute. This is such a great conversation to have with friends or in the context of your marriage or your family because we can talk about how damaging it is when we always feel like we're comparing ourselves to other people. It takes so much energy in this life from all of us to compare ourselves to others. And at the end, we end up giving people other than Jesus, people who didn't create us, people who are broken just like we are, we end up giving them the authority to say who we are and to determine our value and to determine our identity and to be a small g God in our life. And God never intended for our comparison of ourselves to others 
to be what determines our value. So the kind of, that kind of life, that life of going up the ladder, it's going to be an exhausting life for you. And it's a false gospel. Because going up a ladder is hard, right? This is an easy way to remember it. Going up a ladder is hard. And in this case, it's based on all of the ifs. If I can, if I and it's a false gospel. It's not really good news to any of us. As a matter of fact, it's condemning. So the key word in the false gospel is if. And let me flesh this out for you. Because if what I do in life determines who I am, if that's true of you, you will always feel like you have to perform in life. You will always feel like how you do that day, how other people perceive you. Were you successful? Were you not successful? Are you athletic? Are you talented? Are you gifted? Are you sociable? Are you kind? Are you not? Do you measure up? All of those things in your own mind will always be how you determine who you are and your identity and your worth and your value. And here's the key to this. If you live in that mentality, you're not only performing for others, you're probably performing for God as well. Because you think that what you do in this life determines your identity and who you are before God. And if you believe that what you do, your performance determines who you are, then you probably believe that how good you are or who I am, am I a good person, you probably believe that that determines what God does in your life as well. Because you probably believe that if I'm a good enough person, then God will respond in good ways in my life. God will bless me. You're probably thinking that determines, you know, how much you've sinned in the course of your life or even last night determines how much God is smiling on you right now this morning. Even as you're sitting here, you have a belief about that. Does God approve of me? Who does God think that I am? And if you're working your way up the ladder, that's completely based on your own performance. Does God find favor with you? And lastly, what God does for you, how the genie in heaven answers your requests, how he performs for you, how you perceive that he might be working in your life or you perceive that he might not be working in your life in ways that you wish that he would, all of that determines in your mind who God is. And you base all of, is God good? Is God kind? Is God loving? You base all of that, it all starts down here on the bottom and it's built off of your own performance, which explains why some of you would never say this, but you believe that God is distant, or you believe that God is judgmental, or you believe that God's not accessible to you, or you believe that God's not kind, or you believe that all kinds of things that you believe about God, you might believe he's not trustworthy, and the reason you believe all those things about God is because this whole way of thinking starts with you. And thus, if you believe that your value is based on your performance or you believe that it's based on other people's opinions of you, you're in danger of living out a false gospel and that false gospel is going to wear you out and it will not transform your life. It will destroy you and no one will be drawn to that way of life in you because everybody will just see you on a performance treadmill and they'll say, that looks like a terrible amount of work. Now, here's a really tough question. If that's the way that the gospel works, and if what I just described, if you were honest, is how you've been living your life, you know, if that's the way it works, if I'm good enough, then God will be good to me. Then why in the world did Jesus come at all? 
Why in the world did Jesus die on a cross? Why in the world would he give his life for that kind of thing to happen? Later in Romans chapter 5, Paul sums up the gospel this way. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Catch this, Romans 5.8, one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel, the good news is that while you and I were acting like we didn't need God, while you and I were acting like we weren't sure if God's really in control or he's sovereign, we weren't really confident of God's love for us. When we were in that place, God wasn't done. As a matter of fact, he was just beginning. I want to review the gospel for you briefly. God demonstrated his glory and his love in all of creation. But when we as humans still couldn't grasp it, when humanity still had doubts, about God's goodness, when humanity tried to find our joy or our belonging or our meaning in things that God created instead of finding them in the creator, in God himself, God chose to incarnate himself in the person of Jesus so that we could understand who he is, that we could understand what it means to be loved by him, and so that we could know that he is the one and only true source of life that satisfies. Why is this so powerful? Why is the message of the gospel, the good news, so powerful in our lives? Because it's contrary to the way that you and I are currently living. Because the way that we're currently living usually begins with us. It usually starts at the bottom. When Paul says that the gospel is the power of God, he's talking about the true gospel. And you're never going to know it as the power of God. If you believe a false gospel, if you're heading this way up the ladder, you will never know the power of God in your life. To experience the true gospel, you have to be going down the ladder. You have to be coming down. And the key word in coming down the ladder is because, because of who God is, it determines what God does. Because of who God is, it determines what God does. It determines who I am, and it determines what I do. Let me unpack that for you. Because of who God is, because God is loving, because God is good, because God is compassionate, because God is just, because God is all-powerful, because God is faithful, because God is in control, because God is not angry, the scripture tells us, because God is not distant, he came close to you. Because God is not uninvolved, because he is not weak and powerless, because he is not judgmental, he's full of grace, because of who God is. That determines what God does in my life. It starts with God. It doesn't start with us. It starts with him and who he is determines what God does in our life. It flows out of who God is. Let me give you an example. God hears our prayers because he loves us. God moves in our lives because he is good and because he is compassionate. God puts down his anger towards us, our sin because he is merciful and because he is full of grace. None of that starts with us. That's all because of him. It has nothing to do with us. It's true of him no matter what. It takes me back to that illustration we do with our kids. Does daddy love you when you're kind and kind to your brothers and sisters? Yes. Does daddy love you when you hit your brother and sister? They start to say, yes, he does. Doesn't want you to hit. 
but he loves you still. Don't you understand? This is who he is. It doesn't change. How do we know? We know because Jesus came. We know because Jesus loved. We know because Jesus died. We know because Jesus conquered sin and death and hell for us. And he rose from the grave so that we could experience forgiveness and grace and mercy that we desperately need. Who God is determines what God does, which determines who I am because of what God does, what God did made me have the ability to stand before a holy God and be right with God and be called righteous. That's what God has done for me. Who God is determines what God does, his goodness and grace and his love towards me, which determines who I am. Who I am is determined by who God says I am. Why? Because he's the creator. He's the designer. He knows exactly who I am. He created me. And God says that for those who believe, he gave the right to become children of God. You and I are sons and daughters of God. The gospel declares that through our faith, we're loved by our Father, and we're his sons and daughters, and we belong to his forever family, and other people's opinions or how we behave don't change how much we're loved. By faith, the gospel says that nothing you or I can do will change the status that we have with God the Father. We're loved by him. We belong to him. He is for us. He's our dad because of who God is, determines what God does, which determines who I am, which determines what I do. What I do flows out of that loving relationship that I have with God. And let me give you an example. It's one example. We're going to spend this whole series unpacking this thing. Let me give you just one example. I don't serve others so that I can be a good person. I don't volunteer and do things. I don't bring in food for a food drive so that I feel better about myself, so that I can be a good person, or so that God will be pleased with me. I bring in my cans of food and set them on the tables and hope, man, I hope God's pleased with me this week. I hope this meets the, meets the need. I serve others because of who God is, because Jesus was a servant. And I serve others because Jesus served me. And I have the privilege of having this tremendous thing where the love of God can flow through me to serve others. My performance before God doesn't change anything about who God is or doesn't earn any more, any less love from him. It's just an outflow when it all starts with him. Do you understand? It's just an outflow of my life. I'm a servant. Let me give you another example. We love our families not in order to please God. I don't try to love my wife and kids so that I earn some kind of merit badge with God. I'm not doing it for his approval. I love them because he loved me and demonstrated his love towards me. And that's impacted who I am. I'm loved by a heavenly father, so what we do begins to flow out from who we are. And the false gospel always leaves us asking if, but the true gospel always has us proclaiming because, because of God. Not if I, but because of God. And if you're living out the false gospel, you'll know it because you're always evaluating yourself at the end of the day by who said what about you or by how you measured your own performance. And if that's you and that's true in your life, you're trying to do that to gain some kind of status or sense of security or sense of value and worth. And God does not want you to live out that gospel. That's not what he had planned for you. So it's either all about what we do, that's the false gospel, 
or it's all about the true gospel where our sense of security, our value, our worth, our identity is from God. And it's true because it starts with who God is and what God has done. Our identity and our performance start there. So let me ask you a question. What gospel are you experiencing in your life? And I'm not asking you which gospel do you intellectually agree with. I'm not asking you like, Rick, yeah, as you explain that, you're probably right. And I think that is God's plan. Like, I'm asking you, which one are you experiencing right now in your everyday life? Are you frustrated by the false gospel? Or are you surrendered and putting your trust in the true gospel? In your life, does it always begin with you? Or does it always go back to God? Are you living in the reality that the all-powerful God of the universe loves you so much that when he saw all the harm that you were doing to your own life and to the lives of others through your sin, when he saw that you would never be good enough to be in his presence, he made a way for you to be forgiven. He made a way for you to be declared holy and righteous. He made a way for you to have permanent assurance that you're a loved son, that you're a loved daughter of God, and that's what putting your faith in Jesus Christ accomplishes in your life. You know, many of us this morning would say we believe it. I can see some of you nodding your head saying, yeah, that's right, that's true, but many of us are not experiencing it. And that's why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because the gospel changes everything about how we live every day. And you know, maybe this is you. We do so much listening to ourselves when we really should be speaking God's truth to ourselves. We listen to our doubts. We listen to our shame. We listen to our fears. We listen to our drivenness. We let those tracks run wild all day in our mind. We listen to those things over and over and over again. We listen to a false gospel. They're voices from our nature. They're voices from our culture. And it's all bad news for us. None of that is, is good news for us. It's all condemning. But how often do we speak the true gospel, God's voice of truth, because it's good news for us? And it powerfully changes us and it brings us life. The choice is ours to believe the true gospel or to believe the false gospel. And my question for you as we enter into this time of Lent is, which one do you want to live out? Do you want your life to be all about your efforts where it all starts with you? Or do you want your life to be able to be labeled with because of God? And as Christians, it's so important that we understand the true gospel or we're going to preach a false gospel to ourselves. We're going to preach a false gospel to, to each other. And all we need to experience a life-changing relationship with God is a true gospel received from God and lived out in our lives. But we have to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again because of who God is determines what God does, determines who I am, which determines what I do. This Lenten season that we're moving into, it's our desire that every member of our church family would have the opportunity to repent of living out a false gospel and to receive from God a true gospel. So I want to encourage you, each week of this series, we're going to unpack how the gospel can change everything for you. Each week, we're going to teach you how to preach the gospel to yourself in such a way that you're going to be changed you're going to be transformed by its power at work in your life, and you're going to get it. It's going to become a life source for you. Paul says that God gave them over to sin 
basically because he knew it would never satisfy. But Jesus fully satisfies. And that's the gospel. On the back of your outline this week, there are those tools that I mentioned to you at the beginning. And I just want to take a minute to explain them to you. So hopefully you're able to dig in this week. First of all, there's some weekly reflections there. Not hard, just takes a few moments of you getting silent with God and being willing to open your Bible or pull up your Bible on your app and just follow along. But also, there's a fast that's encouraged for each week. And this week's fast that's encouraged is about noticing. Maybe you're noticing how appealing the false gospel has become to you in your life. Maybe it wasn't intentional, but as you sat here and you heard the message this morning, you realized, I'm not experiencing the power of God because I'm starting at the bottom of the ladder and I'm working my way up. And over this week, maybe you just want to ask the Holy Spirit to help you notice the places in your life where you're living out a false gospel, where it starts with you and it doesn't start with God. And you just say, God, if I'm going to go on this journey with you this Lenten season, I want you to help me see where I'm living this out in a way you didn't intend. And then I mentioned the Taste of Sabbath half-day retreat that's coming up this Saturday. That might be a great way for some of you who struggle with some disciplines and getting alone with God. Maybe that's tough for you. Maybe you want to come out this Saturday and let somebody lead you through that time together on Saturday morning. And then there's also going to be a prayer for you there each week. And I want to pray that prayer with you right now. And I also want to be able to pray for you. So would you just bow your heads in this moment? Father, so often I get myself turned around in this life, trying to fix the wrong and striving to prove my worth. And it's so pointless, Lord. It's so futile. Would you remind me once again of your perfect grace, that salvation can't be earned, that it's a free gift, it's a complete covering, it transforms me in every way. And would you point me in the right direction, looking only to you, the source of it all. Lord Jesus, I want to walk with you this Lenten season. I want to hear your voice of truth. I want you to help me live out the true gospel, the one that you gave your life for me to experience. And I want to be able to be thankful. So thank you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We're going to close with a song in just a minute. But every week there's a response card in your program guide and I just want to encourage you, if you have a prayer that you need to write out, maybe that's your response. Just, God, I've been living a false gospel. If you need to write that out, someone's going to pray for you this week. If you need someone to pray with you this morning, anytime between now and the end of the service, you can go back to the back. Prayer room's back there. Someone will just listen. They'll pray for you this morning. But let's allow these last couple moments before we leave this place today to be sacred because we respond to how God spoke to us when we started the morning this morning, I asked that you would all have open hearts before God. And if God spoke to you uniquely this morning, would you take a moment and let that sink in and just say, God, this is my response to you. Maybe your response is, I'm going to come to taste the Sabbath this Saturday. I want, to, I want to commit to have some time with you. Maybe you're going to say, I'm going to work through those things that are in, the, in my uh, worship guide this week. I'm going to spend time following up with those things. Whatever your response is, Let's take this and make it a sacred moment because we seal it with God. We say, God, I heard from you and I'm gonna take a step towards you in this time. Let's take a few moments in worship together.
as we respond to God.